0: RockCoin is actually the cypherpunk alternative to KYC.
1: A person getting verified every eight seconds, did that exceed expectations?
0: Yeah, everything exceeded expectations.
1: Why an orb?
0: They hired this crazy designer who worked with Kanye.
1: The Kanye? Can it work on aliens?
0: We don't know how they look like, I guess.
1: The world's getting weird, bottom line. For sure. Orbs, AI, I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and I am very excited for today's episode, not just because of the guests, but because I have a co-host, which is always exciting. So on the other side of the mic, we have the founder of WorldCoin, Alex Blanya. and of course, we have Ryan Weeks as well, an editor at The Block. It's been a big week for, for both of you, more so Alex, given that he's inside, but Ryan's been watching from the outside. I have, I guess the best place to start would be I've been, I've been, Ryan hasn't been able to answer this for me. I, I ask him every week, why an orb? Why that specific shape? Why not a pyramid or a square or a cube? Rather, what's the deal? What's the deal with the orb? Or sphere. Why a sphere? Why a
0: sphere? So essentially, um, I joined actually a couple months late, right? So Sam Sam and Max already worked on the project for I think like six months or so. And I think they hired this like crazy designer who worked with Kanye for a couple years. And like in retrospect, I think he was actually with the Kanye? The Kanye, yes. He? Ye? Yes. Mm. Yes. And I think he came up with this idea. So, like when I joined, I, I, I read this. Like, I, I got sent this paper, and it was—it has to be an orb. And he had all kinds of different reasons why it should be an orb. Um, and it really just sticked with that. I mean, I'm a—I'm a pretty objective physicist. So if I would have chosen a form, it probably would have been a green block or something, and just written verification device on it. So that, that was definitely not my doing. Uh, But yeah, it 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 worked out incredibly well. That's I think that's the other reason why we stick with it, because it was really not easy to manufacture and to build. But the other thing is it's just like it attracts a lot of attention. People like it looks very futuristic. I think definitely on Twitter, people think it looks like dystopian. I think in real life it does way less so. Like if you actually see it in kind of a daylight, that's that's less the case. So we just we just stick with it.
1: Got it. And When did you first scan your eyes? Um,
0: I mean, the first year, the first year we really built prototypes of all the different implementations that you could think of. Um, So like the um, kind of iris, the iris part came relatively late because I'm, I mean, first of all, we didn't want to build a hardware device. Um, We built social graph, all kinds of social graph implementations that you can think of, we built uh, face recognition, we build Palm vein recognition, we, we build pretty much everything, at like quite extensive prototypes. But then doing all the interviews and doing all the prototypes, we learned that kind of actually iris scanning is the only thing that actually could work at that scale. Um, and so then I think probably like after nine nine months or so, but it, it really is just, I mean, it's, it's a photo. It's a photo of your face with like a huge zoom basically at the eye. So it's like it's not
1: yeah, it's nothing. Got it. Nothing too crazy. Nothing too crazy. So walk me through. I, I noticed um, Eli Ben Sanson at Starkware raised some interesting questions about the robustness of the trusted execution environment within the, within the enclave, within the orb, as it were. How um, can you unpack how biometric information stored within the orb and, you know, maybe address some of those, these commonplace privacy concerns we're seeing?
0: I don't think he actually, I don't, I don't think he actually, I don't think he actually was referring to privacy concerns. I think he was referring to the fact that he doesn't think you can actually, um, not be able to, uh, kind of that, that the system will break down at some point because people will be able to attack the orb and just kind of, Fool the whole signing process. I think that's much more what he was referring to.
2: Yeah, people say a similar thing about the uh, kind of like zk proof aspects of the design, right? That at some point, you know, in the not too distant future, it may be the case that quantum computing breaks zk proofs, and what then? You know, what could they lay their hands on that Worldcoin has collected?
0: Well, I mean, I was in quantum computing. Like, literally, this is what I did before, All kind. Um, I think we are, the quantum computing argument would, would, would apply to large parts of the internet for many really critical pieces of the internet. I don't, first of all, there are ways to make it quantum safe, but also this is just really not the most urgent problem we have right now. Um, quantum computers are far from working at such a scale.
1: Walk us through, you know, what what should the market expect over the next six six months out of um, out of the firm, uh, short term goals, and then maybe walk us through the long term vision.
0: Well, look, I mean, did you did you read the Vitalik post actually? Uh, the
1: yeah, we we uh, w- went through it this morning. Cool.
0: So I think that actually explains uh, quite a bit in depth. Uh, we've worked with him, like, gave a lot of feedback over the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and so essentially there's, there's a lot of things that still are very, like just technically it's a really, really hard problem and, and still remains like that. So there's like a lot of things on the roadmap, uh, that we still have to implement around kind of the identity stack, uh, that's going to be a huge focus and the other huge focus is just, um, get too much more global coverage, uh, with these devices. So essentially that like in every major economic hub, every major city, um, people can verify if they want to uh, we, We're like far, far from that. We have like 250 devices at this point, uh, live. So the, these two things, um, it's just like drastic ramp up of availability and build all the things that we know we have to build. Uh, kind of on the engineering front to make this like a really useful identity layer, um, which is still going to take some months.
2: In terms of uh, you know uh, expanding availability and getting into other cities, is, is it the case that um, you know when you talk about being in most major cities around the world, in some of those places you'll be able to verify your identity, but you won't necessarily be able to interact with the token? Is that correct? That is
0: oh, pr- well. Like the only surprising place where that is the case is the United States. Um, obviously, it's also the case for mainland China, also the case for North Korea. But pretty much everywhere else, the token is also available.
2: But do you think that would be quite an interesting test of the core kind of worldcoin product in the United States, where you're not incentivized by tokens, but perhaps you may still see some use in having your identity verified?
0: Well, I mean, the whole um, the whole thesis is that you actually need you need to get uh, widespread kind of holders of the identity uh, claim to actually push that forward as well, right? So it's the whole idea is that you kind of the token can actually be an important bootstrapping force initially to get it to widespread distribution. That seems to work really, really well. Um, So I don't think that that's the case. It's gonna be very different in a year from now or like two years from now because then it's gonna it's gonna start shifting much much more from like just scale and and kind of rollout to all the things that you just mentioned. Uh, but I think this is like more than 12 months out at this point. And then I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a broader crypto problem that I've talked about a bit before on the show, which is. When do we get to a point at which token price, doesn't matter, token, no token, <clears throat> if, if there's enough value in the actual product that people will use it, they're going to use it regardless of whether or not, you know, coin price goes up. Like, I'm not going to – I'm not – I don't have any financial incentive in Amazon, but I still use it. Um, yep. I feel like across crypto, we're not really at that point yet where people are using things without a financial incentive. It helps bootstrap, but then that, I mean, how long does that last? Um, typically a cycle. For sure. Not even, and, and then, sure. you know, that you know that's the story with step in, with Axie Infinity, et cetera, et cetera. Once sure. the financial incentive goes away, people stop using it. So maybe you can walk us through some of those those use cases that you think will be prominent. Why are people going to want to use this? Why will companies want to use it? Well,
0: very kind of first principle speaking, how I expect the future to play out and how I think this fits in here is that I think the internet is about to change quite drastically in the coming uh, coming couple of years. In that sense, you you will have a lot of the content and a lot of even the agents on, on the Internet you interact with will not be humans anymore. right? It will be neural networks of all kinds of uh, intelligence level, like very, very large foundational models, but also just kind of less smart, but widely distributed open source models. And this will make things pretty weird. Uh, and so I think that's kind of, that's the first piece of it to actually one, one of my thesis and one of our thesis from the beginning really was that the internet needs a foundational kind of proof of human proof of personal layer. And after thinking about this problem for quite a long time, I think there is, we essentially don't have another fundamental solution to the problem other than KYC, uh, government identities. And even those we don't have in many countries around the world, right? So that's like, that's the case for maybe 40, 50% of the global population for the rest of the world. It's just, it's just not the case. And how you as a user will kind of feel that and use that is that you will authenticate, uh, for example, on Twitter, right? Like we, we we launched WorldCoin on Monday, and now you cannot look, you you literally cannot search for Worldcoin anymore because everything is full of bots. Like it's impossible to find something with world Rollcoin in it because like everything is like airdrop bots. Um and so user-user, you will just authenticate yourself and like many services uh, online with your world ID. And if you use world ID, you will actually remain completely anonymous. And that's what we want, right? So I think like even though the first gut reaction is like a very different one because it's biometrics. I think like RockCoin is actually the cypherpunk alternative to using KYC. And it's really the only thing that we have right now that I think works at scale. Um, and then there's like a lot of crypto use cases that I think people talk about for a long, long time. Um, let's see how, how soon they will kick in, right? Uncollateralized, Lending, undercollateralized lending, all those kinds of things. Right, like there's many financial primitives that actually need identity to be realized. Um, so yeah, that that's like for starters, what I think. But we can go much deeper.
1: Can it work on aliens?
0: We don't know how they look like. I guess. Um, what do you think?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think that I think if they've got a retina then it probably would work. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's an Iris. It's
2: but but yes. Uh, Alex, can... why do you think it's if you know, you're why do you think that even it seems that it's often the people who are the biggest cypherpunks out there, you know, people who are really deep into crypto who actually have like in some ways the most violent gut reaction against what you're doing. Uh but you know, the it's the way that you describe it and the way that WorldCoin described it in this announcement, you would think it would be the other way around, right? That actually maybe people who knew less about this subject would, you know, balk at the idea of having their eyeballs scanned and handing over that data to a private company, you know, based in San Francisco, whatever else. Um, why do you think it's so hard to get the cypherpunks on board with what you're doing when actually, you know, the way you tell it, you would think that they might be you know, it
0: might appeal to them. Well, I think you, there. there there's like a couple different camps here, right? So I think um, there's people that actually, so cypherpunk people that are kind of, that have some technical depth and look at it, understand it, and are actually quite excited about it, right? So like, I think Vitalik is, is quite excited about it. Uh, and the way he, like he, he describes clearly that he's not concerned about privacy and all of those things, um, kind of on broad strokes at least. Um, and so there's a lot of people that are actually optimistic about it. I think some of them are less vocal, but that certainly is the case. Then there is, there's another group of people that are just, I mean, the immediate gut reaction is like very obvious. It's not surprising, right? Like you have a biometric device that scans the iris and gets you a role and it's called an orb. So, like, the immediate gut reaction is obviously negative. That's not that's not surprising, because, like, there's not many things in your daily life that you interact with that use your knowledge proofs and all of those different kinds of things and use biometrics and are privacy-preserving. It's, like, it's just counter to everything you have learned in your life up to now, essentially. Right? I think that's that's one piece. And then there's this other piece, which I, like, so I don't have, I get the gut reaction, but I think this will just, that will resolve itself over time. And then there's the other kind of super hardcore cypherpunks, which I actually, I I do understand. And I think it makes sense. They're just like, yes, Alex, I, I hear what you're saying and I hear what the team is saying, but like, I only will start trusting this if it's like fully, fully open source and fully, fully decentralized. And I'm optimistic that you, you you get there. But until you you don't get there, I will not use it. And that's that's totally fine, right? Like if um, that's okay. So I think there's like three camps, like people that understand it and just have like higher expectations of where it needs to go, which I agree with. I think there's like people uh, that are like, whatever, like Vitalik and many other people that just get it, see where it needs to improve, but are optimistic that it can. And then there's like people that have an immediate gut reaction, which I also sympathize with. And uh, I think they will just need to learn more o- about it over time.
2: You, you've referenced um, decentralization a few times, Alex. You know How does that play out now that the token is out in the wild? How soon can we expect the foundation to start calling at least some of the shots instead of tools for humanity?
0: The foundation actually called already like like it's actually very real that I have no control over the foundation whatsoever, like of course, mentally spiritually about like where the thing should go. I think people listen, but uh pretty much everything around uh the token launch was the foundation um for good reasons, so I think that's that that is already happening. I think the much more interesting piece for decentralization and roll coins out of things is. You need other entities to essentially take the design of the orb, build their own implementations of the orb, and operate it. And so, what that like, what that what will mean around the token is you need new incentives built in the tokenomics. So, like similar as you have like Bitcoin miners that that mine to secure the network, you will need. Kind of RollCoin orb manufacturers to also earn kind with every orb they manufacture and operated, right? And and those things are not in place yet, and that's I think that's gonna that's gonna be a big focus for the next twelve months. And that can be really everything from like small manufacturing companies to tech giants uh, that
2: take that design and build their version of that. Um, Has anyone built an orb apart from tools for humanity so far? Like, no a, a because we didn't,
0: a... no i mean we we just shipped the first version of it, and it was hard enough for t v h to do that, although alone to be honest yeah. with so with,
2: with two hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs>
1: what's what's that manufacturing process like where Where have you sort of set up you know spokes to to create the various little parts that go into this thing um
0: Maybe, so the hardest part was definitely the design of it in the first place, because the thing with hardware is if you don't, no one has ever built anything like that for many different reasons, right? It's it's a a device that has to work in an adversarial environment, meaning it's not a government. It can be different lighting conditions, can be outside, it can be in a park, it can be everywhere. Um, people will attack it in all kinds of different ways. So there's like a lot of things that make it really, really hard. So the design took um, a long, long time. And then once you have that logged in, you, usually what you use, like you find a contract manufacturer, which is like also what Apple and, and other companies are using. So you find a large contract manufacturer, and they usually have a team that work with you on taking that final design and get it to mass scale uh, manufacturability. Uh, and, and so that's also what we did, and we did this, I think, one and a half years ago and so now we have manufacturing lines uh, we essentially can at least with a, a three four months notice i think we can produce essentially limitless amount of devices uh, if we want to spend the money on that um, so the the manufacturing line right now it's in germany but we can we can ramp up in other parts of the world as well because like that's the good thing if you work with contract manufacturers you can just press a button and get new alliance started in other places of the world.
2: Should we talk about the uh, token launch itself? I mean, how, you know, how has this week been? I'm sure it's been very frantic, um, but how do you, how do you feel it's gone? I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, one of the bigger events in crypto, certainly in the past few months.
0: Um, pretty much according to plan, other than the the infrastructure didn't keep up for like a couple of times. Um, sometimes up to three three hours or so. Like we just got too much app downloads, optimism couldn't hold up. We we kind of artificially had to throttle pretty much everything because I think optimism basically became Rollcoin for the last couple of days. Um and so this this was this was actually pretty annoying because many things that we thought would go much faster took much, much longer. So for example, the uh, kind of the, the launch grant until that was actually unlocked globally for users. It took almost three days, uh, because everything was like constantly breaking down. We had like other third-party software vendors that were like constantly breaking down. So it was a really, it was an infrastructure war over the last couple of days of just keeping things going. Um, the downloads, well, I mean, signups, all the-
1: Sam said that, yeah. you know, it hit eight, You had like eight, um, a person getting verified every eight seconds. Uh, Did that uh, probably exceed expectations?
0: Yeah, everything. Everything exceeded expectations. App downloads, um, accounts created with wallets, or verifications. everything exceeded expectations. And it's still ramping up, uh, which is getting problematic because many of the sign-up locations that are live right now are actually like team members. (laughs) Maybe just sent to... Uh, for example, Tokyo or somewhere, uh, just so we have availability, and those people want to now get back to their families, and now we just get, have to have to make sure those hopes can remain there. So it's like it's a little bit stressful right now for many people in the company, but um, we're gonna we're gonna handle it.
2: Have you have you read Alex some of the criticisms on crypto Twitter and perhaps elsewhere about the high FDV low float structure of the launch? And what do you make of those?
0: I mean, we expected that part. Uh, well, we didn't expect the high FTV, um, but we certainly expected the kind of the low float uh, criticism. But we explained it. So I think in general, like our tokenomic stocks, unfortunately, they're not available in the United States for exactly the reason we just discussed. But pretty much everywhere else, they are, are available. And I think we uh, went. Much, much more in detail than is usual, right? I think the foundation even published the market maker contracts and all of those things. So, like, the, I think that's nothing that has ever been done exactly for that reason because we suspected that, uh, that might be a criticism. Uh, but the point is, usually that happens if you do like a large airdrop at launch day or something. Like, just let's take Arbitrum for an example, right? You. Uh, you have like a lot of people that worked within the ecosystem for like a couple, uh, for, for some amount of time, and you add drop them tokens, and for Arbitrum it was like a billion dollars or something in, in, in the token. Uh, Rollcoin is just by design very different because the whole point is that we actually want to get this to billions of people, and we are very determined to do that. And that means that we cannot fire out 10% of historical supply in the first week. It would be ridiculous. It would be very unfair. It
2: has to be considerably less.
0: You, yes, but then on the other I hand, want. it's but then on the other hand it's ramping up quite quickly, right? So like if we talk again in, in three weeks, um it's gonna look very, very different. The thing, however, that I will say that was not expected is it was even lower than we expected, and it was mostly because of the problem that I just described, where the infrastructure just broke down and we could not even like even the kind of the the, the launch adrop claiming did not work for Uh, a large amount of users until day three. So this was definitely, this was not
2: planned. And when you say you didn't anticipate the high FDV, what do you mean? there? Because didn't you have a hand in setting the price? I mean, you knew obviously that there were 10 billion tokens in the total supply, even though that wasn't circulating on day one, considerably less was. Don't you or the foundation have a hand in setting the price as well?
0: What do you mean by setting the price? Like how would you do that even?
2: So, uh, people, sort of market structure experts on Twitter, sort of suggested that market makers were incentivized to basically like keep the price at something like two point eight dollars at launch. It was around.
0: Yeah, that. this is this is um, like this is just not true, right? And uh, I think again, the documentation is public. The thing, the thing that the foundation wanted to achieve here is that um essentially short-term liquidity provisioning so you have like a spike of interest and you want to make sure that a token price doesn't spike to like ten dollars or something then crashes down again because then you have like a lot of unhappy uh people that lost money which is something that we've seen historically a lot with uh with a lot of projects so the main and i think it actually is pretty cool what what kind of the fund the team of the foundation came up with can we have this like linear increase uh, in terms of supply, they can emit exactly for that reason. That it, like if you have like a huge spike in interest, you damp that and you make sure that the price doesn't spike. Which that I think would have been a horrific outcome. But but the pr- the price can obviously fall lower. Like um, and essentially, what you can think is like as I understand it. Like I'm not an economist. We have economists at the foundation, but essentially you have a, a dampening in price movement between in that range. But of course it can go above $3 and it can, can go below $2. Like those, those two things can easily happen. It's just the fact that like huge market movement, just because like you have like a lot of interest with a launch day, for example, is much, much harder. You need like much more capital inflow.
1: Yeah. Kind of sounds like the iter- iterative process of a direct listing. Um, right before the listing, you kind of the market maker goes through a process of kind of creating an equilibrium price to go to market with. So, I want to talk a little bit about your vision of of the internet, how you see it sort of um, changing over the next, let's call it, a decade. Um, we've had some VCs come on to talk about how. NPCs will have bank accounts and how AI is going to reshape, redefine everything. What does it look like in your view and what are are some of the risks we have to keep an eye out for as it pertains to maybe AI specifically? Well, very dramatic um, pause. I will st- I will yeah, I will I
0: mean we we talk a, lo- a lot about this yeah. um of course, with a lot of different people. Um So starting starting with the obvious ones, right? I think there's a lot of negative consequences that come out of that. But I, I don't even think that these are the things we should really worry about. I think some of these solutions will just come up with, like Brawl might be one of them. There might be many others, but of course you have this like huge challenge of uh, you. It will be pretty trivial for uh, for players with bad bad intentions to push a certain sentiment in the world and they kind of influence opinions on a large scale, right? Because you will have like very, very sophisticated large language models that understand maybe even the intentions of the human they talk with or the preferences of the human they talk with, um, to change their opinion in a certain way. So like all of those things of course will happen at increasingly large scale. And that's bad for a number of reasons. Um, but the thing is like this, these things might become much more subtle because um, there is no reason that such models will not be even psychologically much more capable than humans might be, right? In terms of understanding what you think, what you like, what you dislike, how you react to certain things, and then change your opinion in a certain way. So I think that's that's going to be a, a crazy piece. When when, and it's when they can also really, really successfully
1: to- manipulate us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um,
0: And that's pretty bad in that sense that incentives are really set up for that, like not even crazy ones, just like marketing, right? Like marketing works like this.
2: Uh, Alex, can you, I mean, one of your backers uh, sort of outlined to me a potential use case was um, in the metaverse using a world ID as a way for players to kind of distinguish between themselves and NPCs. Is that... Within the realm of sort of what you can imagine,
0: yes, I think so. Um, a lot of so. So I'm not. I'm neither like a metaverse or like a big gaming person, so I don't have like a lot of natural exposure to it. But the thing that I can say is that some of the the CEOs or just like teams reached out to us about that already. Uh, so I think there's like this seems to be. For a similar reason, actually, I think is like with these online games and metaverse games or whatever. Like you usually want to have some kind of incentive structure for your users, right? Obviously, it's like many of them take money, and they also have like a huge bot problem uh, for all the similar reasons. It's more sophisticated bots, but so yes, I do agree with that.
1: It's interesting. Um, Okay, well, Alex. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I mean, the world's getting weird. Bottom line, at the end of the day, for sure, for sure. Orbs AI. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's a weird place. But um, what are you what else are you excited about? Um, you know, next, let's say to the end of the year. You know, maybe something that we haven't really touched on. Um,
0: within Rollcoin or like about the world.
1: Let's do both. Let's do both. WorldCoin, in um,
0: the world. WorldCoin, in the world. Well, WorldCoin, I think at this point, hopefully just like rapidly accelerating progress among all lines that we discussed in the podcast, I think like much more availability, uh, much more Kind of, prob- like, hopefully, we'll see the, m- the the first major integrations. I think in six months, we mm. probably should. Um, so there's like a lot of these things happening. So it's going to be a crazy year, that's for sure.
2: Um, about the world, um, one thing that is that, that I- like the Auth Zero integration, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that, that that kind of thing. But like, there is, uh, there's much more exciting ones that you can imagine, and that we already talked to Um, that I think will be coming up. So that, that's what's up for it's like I think I'm going to take a break for a couple of days and then we just get back to it and I think we're going to ramp up production uh, and get into this like, crazy launch mode of, of rolling it out globally. So this is going to be our next six months. About the world, of course, UFOs is interesting. Um,
1: yeah, super interesting. For a while, time
0: uh, and and the other thing actually that I'm personally very excited about is is biotech and general like gene, gene tech with with deep learning, which I think will be a crazy a crazy time as well. Something people don't watch super closely yet.
1: Yeah, I can't believe that there's aliens and as no, you know, well. I mean, come on, there's definitely. I mean, they're pulling out pulling out bodies from. These crashed flying objects.
0: I mean, if that's real, I don't know why there's anything else we talk about also. Right? Isn't that weird? Yeah,
1: It's a little strange. <laughs> it's a little strange. It's a little strange. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning in to the show. Alex, thanks for joining Mr. Weeks. Thanks as well for coming on. And we'll Thank be back so with you. Yeah, no worries. No worries. We'll be back to you soon with another great guest. And maybe Ryan will join again. We'll see. Thanks.